All right. Good afternoon. You guys made it. I don't know if we're allowed to get that funky and fun on Christmas. Like, it's supposed to be super solemn and traditional, right? Oh, this is fun. We made it. Just one more night, right? Tomorrow, we get to all wake up and we get to reap the reward of all of the excitement and all of the anticipation that uh, builds up during this last six weeks, this this uh, Christmas season, right? Uh, tomorrow, we get to rip into the realization of these weeks of great expectations. Well, at least all you kids do, right? Are you guys excited? You kids excited? Get to open up all your presents tomorrow? Yeah. And what just flashed through the minds of all of your parents right now was after you pick up, after you unwrap all of your presents, uh, picking up all of the wrapping paper and we're all going to wonder tomorrow, what were we thinking by putting all the candy in your stockings and letting you have that first thing in the morning? Wonder, wondering why we didn't buy enough batteries for all of the gifts that we got you guys. That's, that's what went through all your parents' mind. This whole Christmas season, for all of us, it's surrounded by great expectation. It even begins with great expectation. For most of us, just a couple days after we come out of the coma from our Thanksgiving feast, we have this great expectation for the day that we decorate for Christmas. I know for me, every year I have this like, perfect idea of what Christmas decorating is going to be like every year. Uh, This day that I look forward to every year for our family, like we're going to have just the the perfect playlist of Christmas songs playing at just the right volume where we can all, we can all hear the music. We could sing along to it if we want to, but you can, uh, you can hear each other talking also and no one has to scream and shout over the volume of the music and the kids, you know, sitting at the table, at, at the table, enjoying hot chocolate. Uh, that's made at just the perfect temperature. So no one's scolding their mouth and they have just the right amount of marshmallows in them. And all the kids are sitting there with smiles on their faces as my wife and I are, you know, pulling out the Christmas decorations from the box that we carefully packed away uh, the January in January and deciding together uh, where we're going to hang this picture this year and where we're going to put the snowman this year and the kids one by one like waiting their turn to put their special ornament on the tree and in in and you know just instinctively like they're going to know how to evenly decorate it so it's not overloaded on one side or anything but then there's reality right the music's never at the right volume it's either so low that you can't hear it or it's so loud that we have to yell over the top of it. And because, you know, it's at the end of the month, it's after Thanksgiving, so we're over our data limit. So it's like lagging behind. I mean, we may as well be listening to some old CD that's all scratched up. Uh, the hot chocolate is inevitably too hot and the kids are burning their mouths or it's not hot enough and we have to keep getting up and putting it in the microwave and nuking it uh, to quell the wrath of the kindergartner. And not only are the kids' cups uh, overflowing with marshmallows, if we were lucky enough to have any marshmallows left over after all of the the sweet potato casserole that we made during Thanksgiving. 
there's probably going to be marshmallows all over the floor too because we were throwing at throwing them at each other, right, Alan? And then we start unpacking the Christmas decorations. It's like, who put these away last year and what were they thinking? Like, this is broken and that's broken. We're, I can't find the, the leg to the Christmas tree stand. So now we have to tie it to the, to the curtain rod so it doesn't tip over. And the kids are like constantly seeking justice and retribution towards their sibling because... I wanted to hang that specific ornament and you took the branch that I wanted it on and <sighs> not to mention you plug in the lights and only a handful of them turn on. So we have this tendency, at least I do, I can say I do, to build up these moments in our head. Like we wanna, we wanna create a memory. We have an expectation for creating a memory around the holidays. And we put on ourselves these great expectations around the holidays. Like this is what the holiday should be. Should be this beautiful hallmark scene. But rarely do these things ever go the way that we expect. And as we close out this Christmas sermon series uh, called The Age of the Messiah King, uh, we've been in this for the past three weeks. So if anything doesn't quite make sense to you or if you need some context for it, uh, the, the past three weeks of sermons, they're on the app and you can go back and listen to them if you'd like. Uh, but we're going to close this out today. This season, it comes with a great expectations that we tend to, we tend to heap expectations upon this season of the incarnation of Jesus. But because of the current already and not yet nature of God's kingdom that we find uh, ourselves living in, we discover that many of the promises that Jesus have for us in this life, we've dismissed them because they failed to meet our expectations. So today's message is called Unwrapping Expectations. And we're going to take a look at how God's plan to accomplish everything his word has promised he will do, regardless of the expectations uh, that we have for him, regardless of what they are. In the gospel narratives, Jesus, he continually departed from the expectations the people had of the Messiah in his day. People expected the Messiah. They expected the son of David they expected him to appear in Bethlehem. That was an expectation. They had that. They knew that. The prophet Micah had foretold that years before. But the way he showed up was very unexpected. They never expected him to appear the way he did. And it seemed as though it was an accident when he came. The birth that they were looking for was that of a great king. And certainly our Messiah's birth did not meet their expectations. His undignified birth in a barn on the outskirts of the city. His arrival would, of course, be celebrated with great joy. But no one expected that the great joy, that the first people to celebrate our Messiah's birth would be these lowly shepherds. No one expected the first to come and give gifts to our king would be these pagan magi from the east. While the Jewish priests who 
knew the prophecies, who expected the Messiah more than anyone while they completely missed his arrival. No one expected the Messiah to grow up in the region of Galilee. It's like a backwater Hickville. It's filled with lowly fishermen and Nazareth. To grow up in the village of Nazareth, literally nothing good can come from Nazareth was the rhetoric of the time of our dear Savior's birth. When Jesus was a 12-year-old kid and he went missing for a few days, not even his parents expected to find him in the temple debating theology with the priests. No one expected him to suddenly appear uh, in the region of Galilee, turning the world of the Israelites upside down as an itinerant rabbi with a school of disciples who were rabbinic rejects that had gone on to become fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. It was not a common expectation that the Messiah would come and confront the self-righteousness of the pious Jews while largely leaving the oppressive Roman government alone. There would have been no Israelite that would have gone along with the notion that Emmanuel, that God with us, would find more faith in a Roman centurion than of all the Israelites in Israel. The immoral Samaritan woman at the well, who we're going to be discovering more about in the next few weeks, she never for a moment would, ex would have expected that this prince of peace would show up at the same well as her at midday, let alone did she ever expect that she would be the first recorded person that he would ever proclaim his divinity to. The hopeless paralytic, he never would have expected his Lord to come to the pool and heal him. The man born blind never expected to see his savior. The widow of Nain, she never expected that the everlasting father would show up at the funeral procession of her son and raise him from the dead. No one expected our soon and coming king. No one expected the son of David to be uh, convicted of blasphemy by the Sanhedrin. No one expected that the Messiah would be executed without dignity by the Romans. Even his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples, his best friends on this earth, who he promised, he would, who he gave the promise to that he would resurrect, none of them expected that he would actually resurrect from the dead three days after his crucifixion. All of these things had been prophesied. Jesus was the long-expected Messiah. But when, how, where, why, all of these details, all of the things he did on this earth, they were far from what was expected. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, they're very likely some of the most well-known prophecies of the coming Messiah. And you're probably, if you've been here for the last four weeks, you're probably tired of hearing it, but we're going to hear it one more time. Chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Many of us can probably with ease from the days that we were in Sunday school uh, recall these names that Isaiah gives our Savior. The, The wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. When Isaiah begins listing these titles of the Messiah, up to this point, he's been describing Israel's future. When the Lord would return their dark land to light, when he would come and he would give them rest, when he would give them security and abundance by breaking the oppression of their enemies and bringing an end to all war. And he will do it God's going to do this through a person. A human being is the one who is going to bring this peace, meaning this reconciliation, it all starts with a baby in a manger. Isaiah prophesied that this government, it's going to rest on this man's shoulders, that his government and the peace that it brings, it's never going to end. This king is going to occupy the throne of David to the end of time. He will be the king of Israel and the entire world forever. And this could only be true of someone who was an eternal being. This coming king would be like no earthly ruler ever before him. He will be good and he will never become corrupt. He will rule with justice and he will rule with righteousness. And we already live in this time where we have so much of what Isaiah prophesied. Already so much of it has been fulfilled by our Lord. We know that Christ has risen from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. And if you put your faith in Jesus, then you are already a child of God. And everything that has been done has been done to purchase your freedom and reconcile you to the Father. We already sit with Christ in the heavenly places and we already enter into the newness of life. The kingdom of God has already been unleashed and it is an unstoppable one. Every earthly power, every force of opposition to our Messiah, it will bow willingly or unwillingly. All of this, All of this is true for us right now. We don't have to wait for any of this to be fulfilled, but we find ourselves in this season of tension. All of these things are already true, but we're in this not yet phase. Last week, we learned how walking out this process of sanctification, how growing, how when we take seriously the the effort to grow more into Jesus Christ and his likeness, and we become more empowered by his spirit, and we grow in living out these kingdom characteristics, we can expand the kingdom of God. But we can't forget the last sentence that Isaiah puts in verse 7 says this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All of this will be brought about by the enthusiasm 
of the Lord of hosts. In other words, it's God who accomplishes this. And he accomplishes this because he wants to. It's his plan. It's his purpose. And he will bring it about by his power in his goodwill and his good timing. And so I've been thinking about this week, the Lord's zeal. And I did a word study on the the word zeal and the Hebrew word here. It's the same word that the Lord used to describe himself to the Israelites at Mount Sinai when he tells the Israelites that he is a jealous God. And there he speaks to them by displaying to them that they are his possession. He tells them, you're mine, you're not anyone else's. He tells them, you can't no longer should you be chasing after false gods. No more chasing after and worshiping these false deities. The Lord knows his own and he says, you're mine and you worship me. I desire you for myself and I am a jealous God. And so I trace this word further. And I saw that zeal was also connected to the Lord's promise that he made to David. This is connected to the Davidic covenant, the promise found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You'll remember, some of you got to think really far back. Think back before the snow came, all that six months of rain that we had when there was snow on the ground before, way back in March. Remember when we studied the Davidic covenant? The Lord tells David that he will place a son on the throne and his reign will be forever and it will be a reign of peace. Zeal, it connects us back to that promise, that covenant that God made with David. The child that is born, the son that is given will reign on the throne of David and it will be so because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Because the Lord remembers his promises. The Lord brings his promises full circle. In the birth of Jesus, this promise comes full circle. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is the son of David. He is the one who saves his people and brings peace to the whole world forevermore. The Lord's zeal is for his people. The Lord's zeal is for those who he works to reconcile to himself. And this zeal is seen again in the work that this son of Isaiah chapter 9 does. Jesus joyfully goes to the cross. He joyfully goes to the cross to bring us peace. The Lord's zeal is the zeal of Jesus. He's the one who cares for us. He remembers us. He died for us, that we might be made children of God. What a zealous Lord we have. He cares for you. He remembers you in his promises. And by his own zeal, he makes his promises come to fruition. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it, and he has done it. The zeal of the Lord, the zeal of, the Lord of hosts will do well for us. the zeal of the Lord has brought about a way for our reconciliation, a way for our salvation, the path for us to be reconciled to our Father in heaven. And the zeal of the Lord will cause him, 
Jesus to return in due season. And he will come and he will make all things new and he will set all things right. But in the meantime, we're waiting. We have great expectation in our waiting. And then this season of waiting, the season of already and not yet, you have to surrender your expectations to the Lord. When he came the first time, he didn't meet the common expectations of those who eagerly awaited him the most. For generations, we've been waiting for his second coming. Soon, everybody says, oh, soon, in my lifetime, probably every one of you have thought, but you know what? Your grandparents thought the same thing. And probably their grandparents thought the same thing. So release your expectations. This is what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We can't apply human demands about time to God's promises. He's not slow in keeping his promises. He's the one who makes the schedule. He's the one who keeps the schedule. He's the, that's, this is where Tolkien got Gandalf's great line that God isn't late and God isn't early. God shows up precisely when he means to. If you're not a Tolkien fan, I'm sorry. I'll explain it to you later. God keeps every promise. And he brings it to fruition at the perfect time for his glory and for the good of those whom he loves. And if we are his faithful followers, we should view the delay of Christ's return as evidence of his patience, not his tardiness. And it's for love that he is patient. God is willing to allow more time so that more people can come to repentance. So that more people can experience a life of reconciliation. This is God's plan to allow more people the opportunity to place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want any to die without knowing his name. He would prefer that we would all be saved, that everyone would be saved. However, in his sovereignty and in his power, God decided not to force anyone to worship him. He is mercifully creating more space that more people would repent. More people would turn from the way that they are going to him. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It's his passion. It's his unwavering determination that will bring his promises to fulfillment. And what seems beyond our reach, what seems beyond our understanding is well within the capacity of God. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What we in our limited capacities cannot. He will exceed all human expectations. When our hopes, when our anticipations, when they collide with the way that God operates, he will surpass our finite understanding. 
the principle that we have to hold on to this, this today is this. His plans, though sometimes unexpected, are purposeful and perfect. If, if we would acknowledge his sovereign, sovereign authority in our life, if we would align our lives with his zeal, we would discover that there is greater power in surrendering our expectations and in great, embracing his great purpose. Imagine if we were all, every one of us in this room, imagine if we were all open to the zeal of the Lord directing us in our lives daily. If we would all recognize that we have a need for forgiveness and, we, and, and had the desire, if we all had the desire to be reconciled, not just to our Father in heaven, but to those around us. What if we would all set aside the guilt and the shame of where we have failed to meet expectations? What if we all set aside that guilt that shame. What if we walked away from the points that we said we stopped, stopped thinking on and stopped letting those times of our unfaithfulness drag us down and drag us back? We've all failed to meet expectations in our lives. If you've been unfaithful in your life, you're not alone. If you feel like you're weak and unstable today, you're not alone in this season. If you've grown weary of praying for your expectations to be met in the Lord, you're not alone and you can come to the Father today and you can be reconciled to him today. You can release the expectations that you have on the Lord and his timing today. And then you can be moved by his zeal and you can see what he can do in your life. God has an open invitation for everyone so that you can find reconciliation. He welcomes each one of us into his kingdom. He offers forgiveness and grace and a renewed relationship through Jesus Christ to everyone who would draw near to him. If you have the desire to meet Jesus today, if you long to be reconciled to your father in heaven today and make Jesus the Lord and savior of your life, I would invite you to take this next moment and acknowledge that desire in your heart. Whether maybe it's for the first time today, or maybe if it's a recommitment, I encourage you to pray silently with me right now. Bow your heads. Lord, Father God, you are good. You are holy, and there are none like you. And Father, we come before you. God, I come before you right now, and I acknowledge that I have a great need for you. I have a need for your forgiveness and grace in my life because I'm not perfect and I've fallen short of expectations. I believe that Jesus Christ came as God. He came to this earth as a man. He lived a perfect sinless life and he went to the cross for the joy set before him to reconcile us to you and he died to cover our sins, and he rose again. And Lord, I surrender my life to you, and I ask for your forgiveness today. And I invite you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life, and I thank you for loving me despite where I failed, despite my shortcomings. Thank you that your mercies are new every day. In the great name of Jesus, amen.
If you've prayed that prayer with us today, or if you didn't pray that prayer, but you feel stirred to take that next step, you are welcome in God's family. And we as a community, we want to support your walk of faith. And we want to walk alongside you in your incredible journey of faith. May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we embrace his forgiveness today and the purpose that he gives us in our lives every day. Stand and worship with me this morning. If you need prayer, I think we have some people that want to pray with you in the back or they can come up front because it's kind of crowded in the back. You guys all wanted to be out of the splash zone this morning. I don't blame you. But if you, want, if you need prayer this, morning, uh, this afternoon, you can come up front and we would love to pray with you.